Hello everyone. You are listening to the Creative Biolabs podcast, we provide reliable exosome-related services and products to clients around the world. Our services cover all aspects of exosome isolation and purification, identification, antibody and engineering. Dear friends in the audience, welcome to listen to our program on time every Saturday night, I'm Connie. Today, we have our old friend Dr. Hofstadter to explore more interesting knowledge. I believe everyone is looking forward to his arrival. Let's welcome Dr. Hofstadter with warm applause. Would you say hello to our audience, Dr. Hofstadter? Good evening, every dear friend in the audience. It is quite nice to see you again. Thank you for your invitation, dear Connie. I'm very glad to be here. So, Dr. Hofstadter, in a previous episode, we discussed the functional activity of exosomal tetraspanins in the modulation of immune responses. And we've learned tetraspanins are important for non-adaptive immune responses mediated by natural killer cells, neutrophils, and adaptive immune responses mediated by T and B cell responses. Equally important, tetraspanins play a major role in antigen presentation by dendritic cells. In addition, the activation of macrophages by tetraspanins can be promoted or inhibited. Finally, we said that exosomes play a key role in the brain for information transfer between neurons and microglia. The tetraspanin CD13 expressed by microglial exosomes can control neuropeptide catabolism at a distance. And you also mentioned that exosomal microRNA is likely to be the main factor in the regulation of exosomal immune responses. I believe besides the regulation of immune responses, exosomal tetraspanins could participate in other functional activities. So what are we going to discuss today? Yeah. Let's start out with I'm going to talk about the role of tetraspanins in cell fusion. In one sentence, tetraspanins are involved in cell fusion. Studies have shown that eggs lacking CD9 and CD81 cannot fuse with sperm. In addition to egg and sperm fusion, tetraspanins are involved in monocyte fusion leading to giant cells or osteoclasts, under the pathophysiological conditions of viral infection. Tetraspanins have also been linked to infections with other pathogens, such as bacteria, parasites, and fungi. What about non-viral infections? Can you give a few examples if tetraspanins are involved in this aspect? Oh, and exosomal tetraspanins. Sure. In non-viral infections, tetraspanins are involved in internalization and recruitment into intracellular vesicles. But, I have to admit, the involvement of exosomal tetraspanins remains unclear. There are a lot of examples, I think. The tetraspanin CD9 enhances diphtheria toxin binding and endocytosis through the interaction of CD9 with the diphtheria toxin receptor. Type 1 fimbriated E. coli use tetraspanins to help them enter bladder epithelial cells and cause urinary tract infections. Another example is the involvement of CD81 in hepatocyte infection by Plasmodium falciparum and Plasmodium yolii. Thus, CD81-deficient mice are resistant to malaria sporozoite infection. You know, CD81 is required for parasite entry into cells, and the formation of vacuoles that allow parasite differentiation. I see. 
Then how do tetraspanins help viral infection? Or, in other words, how do viruses use tetraspanins to infect cells? Tetraspanins are involved in the assembly and transfer of several viruses. For example, the hepatitis C virus uses tetraspanins as ligands to bind to target cell membranes. Tetraspanins act primarily through lateral interactions. CD81 is one of the ligands of the hepatitis C RNA virus. The major envelope protein of the virus interacts with the large extracellular loop of CD81. This allows the hepatitis C virus to invade not only hepatocytes but also B cells, T cells, natural killer cells, and dendritic cells. The infection of immune cells explains the poor immune response to the hepatitis C virus. By the way, this process may also involve other tetraspanin-related molecules. Okay, can you go further with the mechanism that hepatitis C virus binding to CD81 promotes the transfer of hepatitis C virus? Sure. The binding of hepatitis C virus to CD81 promotes the uptake and recruitment of multivesicular bodies and exosomes, thereby promoting the transfer of hepatitis C virus. In the absence of CD81, hepatitis C virus envelope proteins remain in the endoplasmic reticulum. In contrast, in the presence of CD81, the hepatitis C virus envelope protein matures and complexes with CD81 in multivesicular bodies and extracellular in exosomes. Some researchers isolated exosomes containing CD81 hepatitis C virus complexes from the serum of patients. This complex fuses with target cells that allow the hepatitis C virus to spread. Therefore, I think we could say, the maturation and spread of the hepatitis C virus are dependent on CD81. We know that the retrovirus HIV-1 is tropic for CD4 plus T cells and antigen-presenting cells. It can kill CD4 plus T cells and use antigen-presenting cells for storage and transmission. So what is the function of tetraspanins in the fusion of viruses into cells? In T cells, CD9 and CD81 promote HIV-1-induced membrane fusion. Previous studies have shown that the aggregation of CD9 is related to the multimerization of GAG, the main structural component of the virus. You know, interestingly, although the raft-associated lipid GM1 and the raft-associated protein CD55 were also recruited to sites of viral assembly and budding, these phenomena were transient. The limitation of the virus on the tetraspanin-enriched membrane microdomain is from the beginning to the end. Therefore, it is not difficult to conclude that viral components direct the formation of functionally specific microdomains, and that the tetraspanin's web is particularly well suited to meet the needs of pathogens. In addition, HIV-1 envelope glycoprotein and core protein GAG are enriched in multivesicular bodies. However, as far as I know, whether the tetraspanins are involved in HIV-1 spread in this way is not yet conclusive. In addition to CD4 plus T cells, HIV-1 also invades monocytes, macrophages, and dendritic cells of the immune system. How does the virus use tetraspanins in this regard? Yeah, that's a great question. The tetraspanin CD53, CD63, CD81, 
CD82, and CD151, are involved in the uptake of HIV-1 by macrophages and dendrites. Subsequently, HIV-1 is delivered to so-called viral endosomes rich in tetraspanins and recruited to infectious synapses. Unlike T-cells, in macrophages and dendritic cells, CD9 and CD81 have been described as exit channels for HIV-1. In fact, you know, dendritic cells are crucial in the early stages of HIV infection. They capture and internalize HIV on mucosal surfaces, and subsequently transfer the virus to CD4 plus T-cells, via infectious synapses. After ingestion, HIV-1 colocalizes with CD81, CD82, and CD9 in early endosomes. In addition, replication of HIV-1 in dendritic cells was observed. This is dependent on vesicles rich in tetraspanins and AP3. Among them, the downregulation of AP3 reduced the release of viral particles. Finally, there is evidence that Tetraspanins are involved in HIV-1 envelope protein-driven fusion at infectious synapses. Yes, and as far as I know, CD9, CD81, and CD82 conjugation of virus-induced syncytia formation and membrane fusion events have also been demonstrated by susceptibility to feline immunodeficiency virus and canine distemper virus. Okay. I think we've discussed so much about this. Dr. Hofstadter, would you like to make a summary of today's content? Absolutely my pleasure. In conclusion, several pathogens utilize tetraspanins to enter cells. Virus-induced syncytia formation typically relies on tetraspanins, primarily CD9, CD81, and CD82. Different pathogens may use different entry mechanisms, even using the same tetraspanins as demonstrated by plasmodium and hepatitis C virus. At least for some viral pathogens, it has been shown that their invasion essentially requires a tetraspanin-enriched membrane microdomain. Finally, the virus is assembled using tetraspanin-rich vesicles and transfected using exosomal tetraspanins. Thank you Dr. Hofstadter. Thanks for your wonderful science popularization. And of course, thank you for listening to this talk. We gonna have more interesting knowledge to discuss in the next program. So, see you next time. Thank you, I hope we will see you next time.